All right. Well, we welcome everyone tonight, and we're going to get right into the Word of the Lord. We're going to be talking tonight about Jonah. Of course, we all know the story. As little children, we were taught about a man that was disobedient, and he got on a ship and decided to go the opposite direction of where God told him to go. A storm comes up. They throw him overboard, and a whale swallows him up, and three days later spits out or pukes out an evangelist. And so we have taken that story in a literal sense, but we're going to talk about it allegorically. Because I believe that as we look at these stories in the Old Testament, and we don't stay with the historicity and just make a nice history story out of them, but we begin to see the allegorical reality, then they mean something to us and we can see how they're happening within us. Now, I could say that that story is a myth, which does not mean that it's not happening. A myth means, yes, it's a story, like the parables that Jesus told, but it is something that is happening today. You know, the scripture says that Jesus spoke when he was teaching only in parables. And what that means is you don't center up on the story itself, but you see what it points to. You see the parabolic or the symbolic or the allegorical story behind the story. You know, in Revelation chapter 1, it talks about the book within the book. It's not talking about the Bible. It's talking about the words underneath the words. It's talking about the spiritual aspect, the spiritual reality of the words. It's a word esoteric, and it just means the words underneath the words. So that's what we're looking at when we look at all of these stories in the Old Testament. Now, Lord willing, next week we're going to talk about Jesus cursing the fig tree. We're going to talk about casting the net into the waters, and then that leads right in that same chapter into Jesus cursing the fig tree. Now, as I said last week, Jesus did nothing but still storms. He did nothing but heal and deliver. And then he comes and he in the New Testament, and it talks about the fact that he was hungry, and so he wanted something to eat, so he comes to this fig tree and sees nothing but leaves upon it, and so he has the idea, well, since I can't find anything to eat on this tree, neither is anyone else. And he cursed it, according to the scriptures, and no one was able to eat figs or eat after or on that tree from that point on. So go figure. Go figure. <laughs> go figure. <laughs> right? Well, that's not what Jesus did. That's not what he did at all. And we're going to see what that represents and without getting into it tonight, you want to hear that one because that's an awesome story. Once we really dig into the allegory, just as we're going to look at Jonah tonight, it's an awesome story to see what really took place here and how that it was not a history story. You know, the Bible is a spiritual book. If you want a history book, go to the library. But if you want to read the scriptures, you have to realize it's parabolic, it's symbolic, it's allegorical. It uses literal stories, and Jesus used literal parables, you know, of literal stories. But you cannot stop there. So let's go tonight to the book of Jonah. It's right after Obadiah, right before Micah. And we're going to be reading some scriptures in the book of Jonah as we look at this. Again, we're not going to look at it allegorical, even though it is, or we're not going to look at it literally, even though uh, it is given in a literal sense. We're going to look at it strictly symbolically and allegorically. Now, 
Before we read in chapter 1 of the book of Jonah, I'll start around verse 11. But before we read there, let me give you some definitions here. First of all, the name Jonah means dove or is dove, D-O-V-E. In mystical language, the name Jonah is dove and it speaks of our right side. It speaks of who we are, our true identity in Christ. It speaks of spirit. And then as we get on with this a little bit further, we see that there was a crew on the ship and the crew speaks of the different thoughts that you and I can draw from. We either draw from the right-sided thoughts or we draw from the left-sided thoughts. And so the ancients never really wanted us to really take these stories in the Old Testament literally. The mystical understanding, if I can say the uh, uh, metaphysical, if I can even use that word, the metaphysical, the spiritual understanding, the allegorical understanding of these things must be looked at in their spiritual sense. You know, Paul said that many times. He talked about the letter of the word versus the spirit of the word. He talked about in Galatians chapter 4, he specifically talked about Abraham and Sarah and his sons, and he said they're an allegory. So we're supposed to look at these things allegorically. So the crew then represents simply the thoughts that we draw either out of the right side or the left side. Jonah represents, it means dove, and represents our spirit or our true identity. The ship would represent us in general. We could even say the ship could be our body because remember the storm beat against the ship. Now, years ago, I did a teaching in Acts chapter 27 where it talks there about Paul's religious ship. And remember how he was on the ship and he told the crew, no one's life is going to be, uh, is going to perish, but you're all going to be safe and so forth. And then they got off of the ship and remember he was bitten by the viper and he should have died instantly, but he didn't. But I'm going to reteach that as well. But that ship there represents us. Ships in the scripture are speaking about us. So let's look at this. So what have we found out so far? Jonah means dove. It's speaking of the right side. It's speaking of spirit. The crew represents the thoughts that we draw either from the right or the left side. The ship represents us in general. You could say our bodies and so forth. So if you'll notice there in verse 11 of Jonah chapter 1, it says, Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee? that the sea may be calm unto us, or that the storm would stop, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous. So what can we do to stop this storm? In other words, is what they're saying in verse 11. Then verse 12 goes on to say, and this is the key of stopping the storm. Now, not only is it talking about a literal storm here, but it represents the storms and the challenges and the temptations and the things that life just brings us, natural life just brings us, you know, in this world you'll have, you know, tribulation and temptation and so forth. And we have to understand it's not God that brings those things. Life just brings, you know, those type of things into our experience. So verse 12 is the key about stopping the storm. And it says, and he said unto them, this is Jonah saying unto them, take me up and cast me forth into the sea so that the sea be calm. In other words, so the storm stops. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. In other words, the storm will be calm, he's saying, when you take spirit. Remember, Jonah means spirit, means dove. 
This storm will cease when you take spirit and cast it into the storm. That's what he's saying there. Now, the deep sea, which was what Jonah was cast into because the ship was in the sea, the deep sea represents, and this is very interesting, the sea represents nothingness. It means forgetfulness. There's another scripture in the Old Testament that says that he took our sin, our mistaken identity, cast it into the sea of forgetfulness. So Jonah is saying, in order to stop this storm, take the spirit, me, the dove, cast it into the sea, and the sea means forgetfulness, it means thoughtlessness, it means nothingness. We could say, as Isaiah says, it means uh, less than nothing. It also means coming to the place to where we take no thought from the left side. And that happens, this whole process happens through meditation. Did you know hospitals are now setting up meditation rooms in many hospitals? Because they are beginning to see that the Eastern people knew something about meditation that the Western people have never even thought about. And so many people today in religion fight with a passion. They fight meditation. And, you know, they tell their people, well, it's going to open you up to demons and devils and, and so forth. But meditation is seen all the way through the scriptures. Now, there are some forms of meditation that I don't embrace, of course. But meditation according to the Spirit, meditation according to the Word, is the only way we're going to experience this. Because, listen, it's the only way to turn within to the right side is through meditation. And we've talked about spontaneous meditation and purposeful meditation. Jesus involved himself in both. When he would come upon a person that was ill or he would come upon a person that needed some type of deliverance, we know that he didn't do anything but what he saw the Father do. He didn't speak anything but what he heard the Father speak. How did that come about in Jesus? Simply by his spontaneous meditation, by just quieting himself and turning within. Rather than thinking he can figure this thing out for himself. In fact, he himself said, I can do nothing. Don't come to me and ask me because I can't do anything. It's the Father in me that does the works. And so meditation is the key of taking the Spirit and casting it into the situation, whatever that situation might be. You notice that Jesus, when he was asleep in the hinder part of the boat and the storm came up, you notice he didn't wake up. Uh, once the disciples, you know, went to him and said, oh, we're going to perish, wake up and, and do something about this storm. You notice he didn't take one of the disciples and throw them into the storm? What did he do? Because he was still, during the storm, he could still the storm. He didn't do what they did with Jonah, see? So what does that tell me? They didn't throw Jonah in, and just the fact that they threw him into the sea, it calmed the storm. It's an allegorical story. Just like Jesus didn't throw a disciple in to still the storm. The same way with the story of Jonah. They didn't just merely throw him overboard and that was going to still the storm. No, it's an allegorical story as we get into this and as we'll see. Now, look at verse 13. Even though we know the reality of meditation, many times because we have not been taught much about meditation, we kind of shrink back from doing the meditation. You know, and it can be that, well, maybe we don't see the importance of it, or maybe we're just a little bit too lazy. 
But any time a situation arises, any challenge or temptation or whatever it is, the best thing to do, as we've been saying all the way through this series, is just to hush, put the shut to the up, and just turn within. And even if it's just for a few seconds, quiet ourselves so that we don't draw concerning the storm from the left side and give it power that it really doesn't have. But now look what it says in verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard. R-O-W-E-D. Maybe they had oars. I don't know what they had. But they rode hard to bring it to land or to bring the ship to land. And then it says, but they could not for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Now, the men or the crew, as, as I already stated, represents the thoughts that we can have, whether they come from the right side or from the left side. But you notice what it says here, the men rode hard to bring this thing under control. And isn't that what we do when we have a test or a challenge? We do everything we do out of the left side to try to control the situation. Right. Thinking that we can control the situation. But the situation can't be controlled from the left side. We have to take the spirit, our identity, we have to take the right side and cast it into that particular storm, challenge, or situation that we're having. So why were they doing this? Well, because it's very difficult when you're in a storm to not take it in your own hands. You know, we have even, in fact, we've been taught to do that from religion. Yep. Gotta bind, you gotta loose, you gotta fight. Rather than just getting silent and just, just our silence in that meditation is throwing spirit or throwing our true identity or throwing the right side into the left side. Now, look what it says in verses 15 and 16. They came to a point of being at their wit's end, it tells us here. And so they begin to realize that as Jonah stated, if you just throw me overboard, the storm will cease. So they begin to realize that Jonah, the dove, spirit was right. And in this deep meditation, what did they do? And this is what it represents. They took Jonah and they cast him overboard. Now that represents what? That represents a deep meditation. He's cast overboard into the deep sea of nothingness, forgetfulness, and taking no thought. That's, good. That's what that represents. So look at verse 15 and 16. <clears throat> Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. Verse 15. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Notice what it says there. The sea ceased from her raging. Now, what does the her represent? The her infers the feminine principle of the left side. So you see, what happens when there's a storm or a challenge within our life we can keep that going by drawing our thoughts from the left side. Right. See, And sometimes the left side, the her, the feminine principle of our being, brings the storm. Not always, but one thing for sure, when we're in a challenge of any type, I don't care what type of a challenge, temptation, or storm it is, our left side, the her, the feminine principle, can keep that thing going. So that's what it says there. It's, uh, let me read that again, verse 15. So they took up Jonah, cast him forth into the sea, and the sea, see what did they do? They threw spirit into the situation. They threw the 
right side into the situation and listen, her or the sea ceased from her raging. Now, in the scripture we know that there's masculine principle, which is Jonah. There is feminine principle, which is identified by the storm or by the situation. And as long as we continue to live out of the carnal thoughts and the carnal reasoning and, and the false images and ideas, we give power to some, we give power to that storm rather than realizing the storm never had any power to begin with. So notice here it says in this particular case that the sea ceased from her raging. Now, when we, once again, will take the right side and throw it into the sea or the storm, then what happens? All of the emotions on this side will cease their raging or her raging. And what will you do? You will diminish, you'll begin to diminish that storm or that situation. So here in verse 15, notice what it says in verse 15 again, that the sea ceased her raging when, when, listen, when Jonah, the spirit, was cast into the sea, and the sea is, what, casting your spirit into the sea of nothingness, forgetfulness, taking no thought, realizing that that storm has no power whatsoever. Now, let me say it this way. When Jonah was cast overboard, it was like an out-of-the-body experience. How do I know that? Because, listen, his body, he was cast out of the ship into the sea, and it represents having an out-of-the-body experience. Now, I don't mean out-of-the-body experience like, you know, astral projection where people, you know, their spirit, you know, they go through whatever they go through to get their spirit to leave their body, and they go to another nation or something like that. That's not what I'm talking about. But I believe him, Jonah, being cast out of that ship, the body being cast out and overboard, represents an out-of-the-body experience. And I'm going to liken that to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6. If you want to follow along, I'm going to read there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6. And let me show you what an out-of-the-body experience really is. We have out-of-the-body experiences all the time. Now, again, I'm not talking about astral projection that some people, you know, that are in Eastern religions, you know, uh, believe, you know, or pray for so that they can time travel or anything like that. Uh, if that happens, I mean, it happens, you know, but not by us trying to get that to happen. So Jonah being cast out, his body being cast overboard out of the ship represents this out-of-the-body experience. And we find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6. Because remember what happened, the storm ceased when he was thrown overboard. Okay, So it represents Jonah's body being thrown out. And in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 6, this is what it says. Therefore, we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. And then if you read further in verse 7, it talks about walking by faith and not by sight. And then verse 8 says, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So what happened when Jonah was thrown into the sea of forgetfulness and nothingness and taking no thought, what was that? What does that type out to be? He was absent from the body. He was not thinking about the storm from the left side. 
He wasn't judging that storm by the five physical senses, how it looked, how it felt, and what's going to happen to him in the long run. He wasn't judging that thing by the five physical senses. So when you and I are on our ship, as verse 13 says, we're rowing our ship. We must make sure that we're not trying to control the storm or control the situation as the crew did upon the ship. But what we must do is be cast into, cast the right side into the sea of forgetfulness, into the sea of nothingness, realizing it's nothing in and of itself, into the sea of taking no thought of the left side, the thoughts of the left side. Now, look at verse 16, because this gets gooder and gooder. So what happened was, what happened was that once Jonah was thrown into the sea of forgetfulness, and what is that? That's spirit. That's, Jonah means dove or spirit or the identity, our true identity. When we cast that into the storm or into the sea of forgetfulness, nothingness, taking no thought, then what happens? The storm begins to cease her raging because we're not thinking out of the feminine principle anymore, but we are absent from the body, absent from judging that storm by the five physical senses. Isn't that interesting? This is the whole story of Jonah now. It's all allegorical. Now, look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. After the storm ceased because they threw Jonah in, then it says that they feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now, the men here, as I said, or the crew, represent the thoughts that we can draw from, whether we draw them from the right side or the left side. But notice here, they sacrificed unto the Lord after the storm ceased and they made vows. Now, the vows here represent something that we really need to look at, and it has to do with our human thought or thoughts that we would have from the left side. Because when you study a vow, in fact, if you go to Acts chapter 18, let me give you an example of where Paul the Apostle shaved his head, and then we'll see in the next chapter where his four disciples shaved their heads. Why? What does that represent? What is this vow representing here? The vow represents separating from human thought or separating from the thoughts of the left side, the feminine principle, okay? That's what the vow represents. So what happens is, and many Muslims do this, uh, you know, the Nazarene people, the Nazarite men did this, they would shave their heads because hair to them, hair growing, represents thoughts that grow out of the head, the oh human God. thought, only out of the natural, you see. And so that's why they shave their heads. That's why we see people today, some Hindu people and Muslims and different people today that shave their heads because it simply represents, you know, human thoughts growing out of the head or growing out of the left side. That's why we see uh, many times, and I think it's just the women uh, from India, many times they'll have a little dot right here in their forehead. What does that represent to them? It represents not thinking out of the left side. It represents the single eye. It represents thinking out of the right side. And uh, no matter what they believe or don't believe, that's what it represents to them, just like shaving the head to a certain uh, sects of Nazarenes or uh, certain religions represent no longer thinking out of human thought. So they shave the head. 
Now, look what it says in Acts 18, verse 18. And after Paul, after he had tarried a good time there, he took his leave of the brethren and sailed them into Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila, shorn, shorn his head, it says, in Crete, for he had a vow. He shaved his head. You know, he was of the, uh, one of the sects of the Nazarites, or the Nazarene people, and he shaved his head because it represented the thoughts coming, growing out of the top of the head. You know, you've heard people say, well, uh, you know, maybe they're asked a question, well, I don't know that answer off the top of my head, you see. What is that talking about? It's, it's saying, well, I don't know any human answer for that. And so that's what the shaving of the head represented to the, uh, certain sects of the Nazarenes. Now, in Acts 21 here, verses... 23 and 24, here it talks about four of Paul's disciples doing the same thing. It says, Do therefore this that we say to thee, we have four men which have a vow on them, them take and purify thyself with them, and be at charges with them that they may shave their heads. And so what do we see? We're seeing Paul the apostle shave his head because obviously he believed that uh, you know, the hair growing from the head represented just human thought growing. It represents our own intellect, in other words. And remember, in our Song of Solomon, when we dealt with chapter 1, it talked there about the Shulamite saying, I am black but calmly. And we found out that the word black just means I'm just living out of my intellect alone, but I'm calmly or beautiful because I realize the potential of living out of the right side. You see, and so this is what this vow was here on this ship. Once the sea or, or the storm was calmed, they sacrificed and they made a vow. And it all has to do with the realm of the left side. They, they sacrificed, they made a vow by realizing that the left-sided thinking is that which needs to be presented to the right side. That's the tithe. You know, most people preach the tithe as getting in your pocketbook and getting your money. But the tithe is taking the 10% that they tell us that we use when we think from the left side and submitting it or giving it to the right side so it can be swallowed up by the right side and then you live out of the 90%. You see, that's really what that is designating. See, and that's what meditation is. Meditation is giving the tithe. It's paying the vow. It's shaving the head. You see, that's what meditation is. Now, back in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 16, it says there, a vow is made by these men. And again, what does it point to? It's, it points to the storm that you and I have at times, these challenges that we have at times, these temptations that we have at times. It's talking about taking the right side, the masculine principle, and throwing it into the feminine principle, throwing it overboard, you see, into the sea of nothingness, into the sea of forgetfulness, and into the sea of taking no thought. And what is that? That's shaving our head. That's paying the vow. That's giving the tithe. It really is. Mm -hmm. To the mystical people, to the people of the East, the ancients, it meant nothing more or less than that, the tithe. It meant nothing more or less than that. Okay. Submitting, taking that 10% that you would think out of your own natural intellect and submitting it, see, Throwing, you could say it this way, throwing who we are, throwing the right side into the storm of the situation that we have. Now, if you look at verse 17 back in uh, Jonah chapter 1, 
this is the part now that we have always heard as as children and we probably came to love these stories i mean you know what could be more intriguing than a guy being thrown overboard and a big old whale coming and he goes to whale seminary and uh you know he he learns his lesson there and then in three days you see uh you know the fish pukes him out and maybe gets a virus and pukes him out and uh, he pukes out an evangelist or a minister i mean that's what we were taught right because we were taught the literal stories of the old testament right now look what it says in verse 17 there now the lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up jonah and jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights that's 72 hours now can you imagine a guy in a fish in a whale for 72 hours and living Probably had seaweed coming out of his nose, his mouth, his, you know, probably the intestinal uh, fluids of the fish, the chemicals in the intestinal fluids of the fish probably ate his clothes off of him. Can you imagine? And he gets puked out as an evangelist? How much sense does that really make? Not a whole lot. So we need to look at this in an allegorical reality. Now, look what it says. The Lord had prepared a great fish. Yes, the Lord prepared it. You know why? Because the fish simply means God thoughts and divine thoughts. Jesus was always associated with a fish. When you see Jesus, you see the sign of the fish. Remember, he told uh, some guys to go fishing and he would, uh, they would get, catch a fish that would have money in the mouth, you know, to pay the taxes and so forth. We see fish all the time associated with Jesus. Why? Because fish represent, fish represent God thoughts. Fish represent the right-sided thoughts, you see. And so no longer do we flounder around, you see, trying to figure out what to do when we're going through the different trials or temptations. We need to be swallowed up by the fish, the God thoughts. We need to be swallowed up by the divine thoughts. And as we're swallowed up by the divine thoughts, then what happens? The divine thoughts then don't give any power to that so-called whatever it is we're going through challenge or trial or temptation when you listen when you're thinking from the right side you're not even really all that interested about when this thing is going to end because you're just in the realm of peace and you're not giving it any power and you know as Jesus said in Matthew 6 33 instead of asking me for stuff Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek to turn to the right side through meditation. Turn within. And then that trial or challenge or whatever it is you're going through won't really matter that much anymore. And you'll no longer be floundering around giving that thing power that it never really ever had. See, And that's the key that we need to look at. Now, let me have you go to Matthew. Hang on to Jonah, but let's go back to Matthew chapter 12. So what this story is all about is God directing us to teach people that the destruction must come into our lives. As we draw from the right side, there is a destruction, if you will, that comes to the fourfold aspect of our lives, physically, emotionally, socially, mentally. There's a destruction of those things, those trials, you see, and those situations that have have come to tempt us, they're destroyed, you see. They're swallowed up. See, he probably had all kind of, we'll read a little bit later, where he was all messed up and tangled up in the seaweed and all this sort of thing. All of that was destroyed, you see. When he was what? 
when he was vomited out, see, because when he was vomited out, what does that represent? It simply represents the fact that he, he, he had the divine thought. He thought from the right side. He began to draw from the right side because that's what the fish represents. It represents the God thoughts, the divine thoughts, the right-sided thinking that we involve ourselves in. And that's something we have to do. It's not something God's going to do for us. He doesn't renew our mind. See, we're told to slip into the Christ mind. We're told to exercise the single life. We're told to take the things that are good and holy and righteous and of a good report and think on these things. He doesn't do that for us. Now he's equipped us and he's given us the Christ mind and he's given us a single eye. He's given us everything that we need to live from the right side, but he's not going to do it for us. He's equipped us with all that. But it's, now we could say it this way, you know, we do it and it's as though it is him within us, absolutely, because we're not doing this in the energy of the flesh, but by the power of the spirit that he's given us. Now, in Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 and 40, it talks here, Jesus is talking, and he's talking about the sign of Jonah. And he's talking to these religious people. And look what it says there in Matthew 12 and verse 39. It says, But he answered and said unto them, unto the religious people, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of of the prophet Jonas or Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the well's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So what is the sign? Notice he's likening the three days and the three nights that Jonah was in the belly of hell. He's likening that to the three days and three nights that Jesus was in the heart of the earth. Now, what does that speak of? That speaks of the death of Jesus and what the death of Jesus did. That's part of a sign there. What did the death of Jesus do? Well, since we've come to the understanding that we came here upright, since we've come to the understanding that we didn't come here as a sinner, since we've come to the understanding that we didn't come here with a sinful nature or an Adamic identity, how many know that Adam didn't need to have a sinful nature to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? He still did. See, and Jesus did, certainly didn't have a sinful nature, and he was still tempted. Of course, he didn't fall for the temptation, but he was still, he was still tempted. So since we know that we didn't come here with an Adamic identity or a sinful nature, what did the death of Jesus do? It didn't take out the old identity and give us a new one. It didn't take out a sinful nature and give us a divine nature. But it, it exposed the lies, and then his resurrection revealed the truth about who we had always been. So what is he likening this three days and the three nights that Jonah was in the belly of hell or in the belly of the well? He's liking it, because this is so important, he's liking it and telling us it's a sign of the fact that we need to understand properly what the death of Jesus really did. It exposed the lies of religion. So something is being exposed here. In Jesus. Now, once we have that exposed, then we begin to realize that the other sign, as a result of what Jesus did, I'm going to add death, burial, and resurrection, as a result of Jesus' death exposing the lies of religion and his resurrection revealing the truth of who we have always been, as a result of that now, what we can do is we can take the right side and we can cast it into 
the storm of life, whatever it is, or challenge or temptation that we have, we can be cast into the what? The sea of forgetfulness and nothingness and taking no thought. And we can take that as we're swallowed up by that, which is what the fish represents, the divine thoughts, as we're swallowed up by those divine thoughts and they become the priority within our life, then we can see here that we will then experience what Jonah experienced, which was a resurrection. We experience now what is resurrection? It means new life, it means a new experience. Three is the number that speaks of resurrection. And Jesus was in the heart of the earth three days and three nights before the resurrection. Jonah was in the well three days and three nights before the resurrection. But it was because he was cast overboard into that sea of forgetfulness and nothingness. And it was because he was swallowed by the fish of the divine thought of God that he could, or that he did, take the right side. They threw Jonah overboard into the sea. And what happened? The storm ceased. The storm ceased her raging. Meaning what? No longer thinking from the left side because, or yes, the left side, excuse me, from the feminine principle, no longer thinking from the feminine principle will cause that storm eventually to cease because you no longer give it any power. From the her side, from the feminine principle side, you're no longer giving it a power that it never had to begin with. Because why? Because you've thrown your true identity, you've thrown dove, you've thrown the spirit into that particular situation. It's just like Jesus, you know, in John 21. Remember the disciples, and I've told this many times, the disciples were fishing and they caught nothing. And he came upon them and he said, take your nets and cast them on the right side. And they got so many fish that they couldn't, the nets broke. And it's the same way in Malachi where it talks about the tithe. You'll be blessed so much you won't even be able to handle all of the blessing. Once you take the tithe, you see, once you take the left side and you submit it over to the right. Or once you cast the right side into the left, however you want to say that, you see. And so this, this story that we read in John 21 about Jesus telling them to cast the nets to the right side, as I've said before, he wasn't talking about ships. It's an allegorical story. He wasn't talking about catching fish. He wasn't talking about anything in the natural or literal because they caught 153 fish and 1 plus 5 plus 3 is 9, and 9 is the number that designates consciousness. He was really, that story represents to us consciousness. And we can see this all the way through the Word of God. We can read about the right side. We can read about the vineyard of the right side. Now, if you go to chapter 2 of Jonah, let me read verse 2 of Jonah chapter 2. Now, this is our spirit which speaks when? When we cast ourselves into meditation. What are we doing when we meditate? We're doing nothing more or less than turning within. So as we get here into chapter 2, here we see Jonah crying out in the midst. Now, you know, we've heard people say, well, I cried out to God. And you can read in the Word of God, you know, the people cried out to God. What does crying out to God mean? I know what we used to teach it as. But crying out to God means we just simply in meditation turn within. That's really all that it's talking about. It's not talking about crying out, you know, as as uh, we could read in the Scriptures if you look at that in a literal sense, but it's talking about turning within. So look what it says there in Jonah 2, verse 2. 
And Jonah said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Now listen what it goes on to say. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. Now, what is the belly of hell? Website. He cried out of the belly of hell. The belly of hell was his thoughts from the left side. Exactly. See? If he would have really realized, see, he was going back and forth a little bit, and especially when we get to the end of Jonah. I mean, he gets like all the religious, you know, TV preachers. Talking about seven-year tribulation, talking about, you know, a battle of Armageddon, talking about eternal conscious torment. Which shows us what? When we see that at the end, the last, because there's only four chapters in Jonah, but when we see at the end that he begins to become like the normal run-of-the-mill evangelist today and eschatological teachers today, we begin to see that no matter how much we've been in the right side, there's still the potential of going back and forth. Mm -hmm. That's why we must keep the garden. But let me not get ahead of myself. Look what it says here in verse 3 of Jonah chapter 2. For thou hast cast me into the deep, that's meditation, into the deep, in the midst of the seas. In other words, in the center of all your fears and hurts and diseases and emotions, okay? And the floods compassed me about all thy billows and thy waves passed me over. So in other words, you're totally compassed and drenched and overwhelmed by this mystical experience that you have been cast into, yet you have these left-sided thoughts and these left-sided experiences happening within your life. And then notice verse 4. Then I said, I'm cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. In other words, I have all this stuff going on within me. All of these things in the appearance realm are happening. And then he says, yet I'm going to do what? I'm going to look again toward thy holy temple. I'm going to look again toward the right side. No matter if I have seaweed coming out of my nose, my mouth, my ears. No matter if I smell like a fish. All the, you know, the stuff in the fish that we don't even want to go and explain, even if I have all of that stuff around about me, I, no matter how it looks like, no matter how it feels, I'm going to turn to the holy temple. I'm going to turn to the right side, in other words. Yes. Verse 5, the waters compassed me about, even to the soul, or even to my awareness. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. In other words, I was totally drenched in the deepest part of this storm and this and being in this well, it totally overwhelmed me. But you know what? I'm going to take no thought. I'm in the fish of God thought. I'm in the fish of divine thought. And I'm not going to give it any power. Because it's all good. All I see in this, as I draw from the right side, is it's all good. That's, that's what Jonah is thinking. Because remember, Jonah is the dove. Jonah is spirit. And he's been cast into the sea of forgetfulness. And even though there, there's all kind of raging, all kind of seaweed wrapped around him, and probably all kind of horrible smells inside this well, I'm going to turn to the holy temple. I'm going to go to the right side, and I'm going to draw my thoughts from the right side. Verse 6, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet thou hast brought, listen to this, brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. In other words, when it looked like I had absolutely no hope, like I was never going to get out of this situation, like the storm was never going to stop, 
It looked like I was totally doomed, yet the Lord has brought me out of corruption. Why? Simply because I drew, I looked again toward the holy temple. In other words, I came to, I kept coming to the right side. I kept coming to the right side. And listen, folks, that is our answer to yes, trials yes. and tribulations and challenges and temptations. Yeah. That's our answer is to take the right side and throw it into it. And that's all that Jonah represents. Now, look what it goes on to say in verses 7 through 9. When my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thy holy temple. That's within. Verse 8. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. In other words, if you're going to look at the storm and the challenge from the left side, you forsake your own mercy. You do that yourself. Oh, hello. See, we do that ourselves. Why? Because we're... Try to row the boat, try to row the ship, try to control the situation, try to control the temptation or the challenge. Then he goes on to say in verse 9, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. In other words, I'm going to give a tithe. We've already talked about that. The tithe is what? The tithe is a 10%, and they say we use 10% of our own natural mind if you want to say it that way 10% so I'm going to give the tithe in other words I'm going to bring that and submit that and yield that unto the right hemisphere and what that represents which is the Christ mind that's all that he's saying there so he gives the tithe of the 10% of the left hemisphere and look he was at peace he was at peace see and once you cast your spirit into that deep sea of nothingness forgetfulness having no power, taking no thought. You take upon yourselves what the fish represents, the divine thought and the God thought from the right side, then you're going to experience the peace and the calming of the storm within your life. That's the answer, folks. It's not to pray, oh, God, get me out of this situation. Because guess what? He ain't going to do it. He's already done all he's going to do. What he does now, he does through you. Hey, that rhymed, huh? Right? Yeah. God has already done what he's going to do. What he's going to do now is through you and I. Yep. You see? Now, look at verse 10. It says here, And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. In other words, you're released now, Jonah, to, to, to go do what I told you to do in the beginning. <laughs> see? The stone was rolled away, and Jesus came out. The fish was rolled away, and Jonah came out. The crisis is rolled away and out we come. Yes. And we can go forth and do what we're called to do. Now, an interesting part of this as we wrap this up is found in chapter 3 as Jonah there begins to head for Nineveh. Remember, he was supposed to go to Nineveh in the beginning, but he went the opposite way. He hopped a ship, went to Tarshish, or wanted to go to Tarshish, and headed in the opposite direction. And that's what we do many times. We head in the opposite direction, right? How do we do that? This is the opposite direction right here, the left side. Now, in chapter 3, in verse 3, here we begin to now address, we could say, religion. And this is where most of religion tonight is. And thank God this is beginning to change for a lot of people because people are really beginning to wake up as never before. But he begins to get religious, which simply shows us that we can draw, no matter how long we have drawn from the right side or how spiritual we think we are, there's always the potential of going back to the left side. And that is why we must learn to keep the garden. 
Keep the weeds out, meaning what? See, had Adam done that, he never would have partaken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Had he kept the garden of what God had spoken to him, Adam, you're in my image, after my likeness, you're blessed, you have dominion. Yeah, had he kept that part of the garden, his vineyard, had he stayed in the right side, he never would have partaken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So simply saying, we still have the potential to go back and forth. See, we're not puppets. God is not sovereign in that sense where he's going to make us draw from the right side. He's given us the opportunity of choice when it comes to this. And a lot of people have, you know, been taught, well, you know, you can't experience this till, you know, in the sweet by and by, you know, in the pie in the sky or after the rapture of the church or after you die. No, this is for the lovely here and now. See, and that's what we need to be taught. That's what we need to understand that it's not for the future. It is for now. It is for now. Most of the time, the New Testament doesn't address dying and going to heaven only a couple of times. Why? Because it's for now. Today is the day of salvation. Now we can experience this. So if you look in chapter 3 and verse 3, this is where he begins to, you know, he comes to the big city now. And uh, he, he's against the big city. He was, he was, he's originally was sent there to get him saved, if you will, to get him to realize truth. And instead, you see, when you get to chapter three, he wants them all dead. You know, God just kill them. You know, they don't deserve salvation. Huh? Just get rid of them. Just burn them up. Just scorch them. Yeah. So notice there, verse 3, So Jonah arose and went into Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And then look at verse 4. Forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's what he's telling them. Forty days, you're going to be overthrown. What was he doing? He was acting like an eschatological TV evangelist. <laughs> he was saying, 40 days and doomsday's coming. There's going to be a battle of Armageddon. And if you study out the battle of Armageddon, it's just a battle of the mind. It's flesh lusting against spirit, spirit against the flesh. Now listen, the only time flesh lusts against spirit and spirit against the flesh is when you're thinking out of the left side. Because yeah. the right side wants you to begin to pay attention to it, you see. So, you know, and we've got the bookstores that are lined with these books, left behind, and and late great planet earth and they've made billions of dollars on their lies billions of dollars they've made on their books i think back in what was it 1988 88 reason why the lord is going to come in 88 and some of the people went back and changed some of those books but for the most part no they don't want to change because they're still making money off of those things now look at verse 5 chapter 3 so the people of nineveh believed god listen and they proclaimed a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. In other words, they came to the place of humbling themselves and changing their minds. Yeah. In other words, they came to the place where they began to realize, hey, we better think out of the right side instead of the left side. We better quit living by, you know, seeing of the eye and the hearing of the ear. We need to start living by righteous discernment on the right side. So look at verse 7, what they did. It says, let neither man, they called a fast, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. Now, I don't think that they got all the animals to fast. I don't think that's what that's talking about. I think what it's talking about is we are going to go on this fast from beastly thoughts of the left side. Oh, yeah. 
That's what it was talking about. It wasn't talking about a literal fast from food. It was talking about, let's get, it's time for us to get rid of the beastly thoughts. You see? And then verse 10, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. So, so in other words, what has happened here is Jonah had all this experience on the ship, with the deep sea, with the fish. He had all that great experience. And all of a sudden, he gets over to Nineveh, and he starts prophesying 40 days, and you guys are toast. <laughs> so he starts prophesying like we hear today of a battle of Armageddon, fire and brimstone's coming. You're going to be burned up like Sodom and Gomorrah. And, of course, we've talked about, you know, Lot, when God told Lot to go up to the mountain, representing meditation, go up to the mountain of meditation so that you can escape the fire and brimstone that's going to come to Sodom and Gomorrah. And we've always taught that, well, his wife Lot, she was disobedient, or Lot's wife was disobedient and looked behind and turned into a pillar of salt. Well, what that represents is in Lot there was a feminine principle that when God told him, go up to the mountain of meditation, oh, but my church taught me that I'll open myself up to demons and devils. Oh, but this is what I've been taught. Oh, but the other is what I've been taught. So he was what? His feminine principle was looking back to what he had been taught, and those things had to become a pillar of salt, or they had to become frozen. Those thoughts had to be frozen within Lot. So I believe that's what that's talking about. I don't think it was two people whatsoever, allegorically. So in other words, this is what we have today. We have all of this preaching going on about all of the bad things and people are not being taught that there needs to be a people in the earth that see the whole earth, this earth and that earth out there, full of the glory of God. We're not taught to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. We're not taught to walk by faith and not by sight of the left side. We're not taught that in many places. Thank God that's beginning to change. But Jonah had come to the place now after all the good things that happened to him He's now negative, and he's religious, and he's thinking out of the left side. Now, look, if you will, in chapter 4, as we close here. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. He was upset. He was upset that Nineveh wasn't going to be destroyed. Can you imagine thinking so much out of the left side that you want people to be Gun down, Armageddon, fire and brimstone, eternal conscious torment, and you're upset because they're not going to get that? A lot of people are today. Verse 3, look what it says. Jonah says this. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. In other words, I'd rather die than admit that you're not going to destroy Nineveh. <laughs> that is so true. You know, I'd rather die. Once to Baptist, always a Baptist. <laughs> Once to Pentecostal, always a Pentecostal. I was born a Catholic, and I'm going to die a Catholic. I was born a Lutheran, I'm going to die a Lutheran. I'd rather die that, you know, than, than change or repent. That's right. See, I was born a certain way, and I'm going to hang on to my flesh. I told a person some years ago, you know what, you better be careful that you don't hang on to your flesh so tightly that it takes you down to the grave. Yes. 
See, because we do. You know, we've been taught to, you know, we're right and everyone else is wrong and we want to hang on to our concepts and our false ideas no matter if they take us to the grave. Remember we read in Song of Solomon that jealousy is as cruel as the grave, meaning what? If we're jealous because God is bringing people in by His Spirit overnight, and we've been in the ministry for 40, 50 years, well, bless God, who are those ripper snappers? How do they, how can they come? Well, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. <laughs> because jealousy is as cruel as the grave. It'll kill you. And so this is exactly what's happening with Jonah. See, he's jealous. I went through this experience of the fish, and I went through the experience of being cast overboard. And now, God, you're telling me you're going to save this wicked city over here? Yep. Yes, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And you can read the rest of Jonah, and it talks there about people who don't know their left hand from the right hand, and he said, I'm going to save them all. Yep. Even if they didn't walk the green mile and yep. accept Jesus into their heart, I'm going to save them all. All of them. None of them are going to be cast Not into one. eternal conscious right. torment. None of them are going to be destroyed. So look, it says, let me read verse 3 again. Therefore now, O Lord, take, just take my life from me, for it would be better for me to, you know, not live and to die than to be wrong. Verse 5, so Jonah went out of the city, now look what he does, and sat on the east side of the city. You know why he did that? Because God was going to come with his whatever kind of warfare and scorch and torch Nineveh, and he wanted to be on the east side. The east side is the side of safety and protection. See? So God, spare me, but kill them. What was he doing? He moved from the right to the left side. He was thinking out of that left side. So it says, So Jonah went out of the city, sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under, under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. So I'm going to the east side, and I'm just going to watch all these people be destroyed. Doesn't that sound like a lot of teaching today? Teaching today? We're just going to watch God scorch them and torch them. Sure. Goes on to say in verse 6, Now here the Lord is ministering to him. How many know he ministers to people no matter what level they're on? That's right. He still ministers to people no matter what level they're on. Verse 6, And the Lord God prepared a board and made it to come up upon Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. Just me Even though Jonah was thinking out of the left side and being so negative about Nineveh, wanting them to be destroyed, God ministers to him with his gourd so that he could be in the shade a little bit in his grief. So Jonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd. Oh, well, bless God, he must be agreeing with me, and he's for me, so he gives me this gourd to give me some shade here. Now, we know the story how that the next day a worm came up and ate the gourd. So Jonah no longer had his shade. See, There comes a time, you see, yes, God ministers to us at the level that we're at, but there comes a time, listen, that he no longer winks at our ignorance. Come on! Oh, that's a good In other words, we yeah. have got to take the responsibility yes. by responsibility. coming over here to the right side. Now, the whole story, if you read it, I'm not going to read the rest of it, but if you read the rest of the story, you will find that God never did destroy Nineveh. And he spoke to Jonah, and he said, I don't care what they do, I don't care where they have been, I don't care where they're at, spiritually speaking, I created them, 
they're my people yes. and they're going to live love. and yes. so again what is the moral of the story at the end the last couple chapters it's simply because it's simply telling us that no matter how much we've thought out of this right side no matter how much we've meditated no matter how much there's still that potential to get religious and judge things by appearances there's always that potential you see see because we're not puppets on a string God's not going to do it for us or make us you see we can go in and out but how many know in Revelation it talks about a people that go in and out no more so what is the reality? What is this allegorical reality of Jonah? The sign of Jonah is, number one, Jesus' death exposed the lies. Okay? And this allegorical story of Jonah is the fact that the lie of it being a historical story has been exposed and we've seen the truth of Jonah happening within us. He was thrown overboard when the storm came, meaning what? You've got, when a storm comes, you've got to throw your spirit. You've got to throw your right side on the left side and be swallowed up by the God thoughts. And as you're in the sea of this trouble and this situation and the storm is beating upon you, the ship, beating upon you, the ship, what do you do? You just simply realize the nothingness of the challenge, the non-power of the challenge, you come to the realization of the right side and you don't give it any thought, but you realize it has already been taken care of in the heavens. And because it's already been taken care of in the heavens from before the foundation of the world, you can rest in the fact that it's done mm -hmm. and it's finished. And you can think from the right side and allow the left side to be swallowed, swallowed up mm -hmm. by the right Amen. Mm -hmm. So in our storms and in our challenges, and we all have them, in our temptations, we all have them. What, what is the answer? Throw the right side into the challenge. And as we throw the right side into the challenge, and I'm not saying it's easy because, listen, you cannot do that without meditation. You cannot do it without turning within. Right. But as we turn within, yes, no challenge yep. is too big for us. No challenge is too powerful for us. Right. We have to realize the nothingness, come into the realm of forgetfulness. Isn't that what Paul said? Forget the things of the past. Mm -hmm. Press for the mark of the prize of the high calling. We have to forget those things and we have to continually draw from the right side. And as we do, victory becomes a manifestation within our lives. may not happen overnight, but it will it will, I promise you, it will happen. Amen. Because those things, those challenges, has absolutely no power whatsoever. They're powerless. According to Isaiah, they're nothing. Oh, they're something to us when we're going through it. But you know what? If we can draw from the right side and if we can see that they are nothing, they're less than nothing, they're powerless, then you know what we can do? Be in the sea of forgetfulness. Right. See, we cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. And we move on, and they're swallowed up by the right side. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your truth. Thank you for our spirit that reveals and quickens and makes these realities alive within us. Thank you, Father, that we can look at these allegorical stories and we can see them happening within us in a positive sense. 
We bless you. Thank you for this people. We honor you in the name of the Lord. Amen and amen.